Good morning, church. I am not sharing today. It is my pleasure, though, and my honor to introduce our speaker for today. Uh, Dr. Mark Cote has been working with uh, Bethann and myself with Safe Place for uh, over two years now, and we are privileged to have him on staff. Um, you're going to get a little taste of uh, who he is as a person and as an individual, who God has made him to be as he shares today. Um, but uh, yeah, we are very honored to have him, uh, Dr. Mark Cote. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for having me today. Thank you to Pastor Joe. It's good to talk to him this week and find out that I'd be sharing with you this morning. <laughs> Just a friendly conversation and letting him know I'd be here, and it just really worked out well. I'm so glad um, that I can be here with my wife, Kristen. I'll be sharing just a little bit more about her in a few minutes. But I want to invite you to think about weddings. I had one conversation this morning. I heard somebody was at a wedding. It may have even been yesterday. But when you think of a wedding, what thoughts come to mind? What phrase, what word kind of describe the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings that are evoked in thinking about a wedding? Go ahead and call them out. That's one of the one or two dances that I can do. What else? Corinthians. My wife, Kristen, does calligraphy of 1 Corinthians 13 for every wedding gift. Who knows how many you've done over the years. Anticipation. Food, love, this is great. Joy. Cost. Oh, like the cost of a wedding. Yeah, sure. I was already running with that one. <laughs> commitment, cost, commitment. What about counting the cost? Things like that. This is really good. You're, you're, Joseph said I could throw some things out and get feedback, and he's right. These are excellent. So I didn't hear the phrase, and I don't typically think of this one either associated with weddings. I didn't hear the phrase fear of the Lord. Just tuck that in the back of your head. We're going to visit that a little bit later. But a lot of really positive, hopeful expectations that I'm hearing. I want to show you a picture of where my focus was on our wedding day. Kristen and I are working on 25 years this May. And, yeah, I, I remember this and all its details of the day, the planning. There's so much that I remember and am grateful for. And while certainly our focus was on the Lord, was on one another, if you look at this picture, this picture actually comes from a, a picture that's framed and has hung in her parents' house pretty much for 25 years. We just took it down yesterday. 
because we find ourselves in a season of cleaning out their house. They can no longer live there, and it's been a very, very difficult, costly six to 12 months of walking through this process. So with all those words of, of hope, anticipation, joy, even there was probably the electric slide at our wedding. Interestingly, that all fits with this really beautiful photo of Kristen. And then what you can't see is just above the frame. And that is the stained glass that is there at the altar. Let's, let's look at the next picture. my dad to the left. That's my spiritual grandfather who's pronouncing us as married and, and praying a blessing over our union. I'm named after him. My name's Mark Jacob. He was Reverend Dr. Jacob Wagner. He's now with the Lord. There you have a picture in that stained glass of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we think of words like commitment and cost. Father, not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, while Kristen and I were focused on the Lord and receiving his blessing, I can tell you we did not have in mind that at that altar we would dedicate our three children, Caleb, Jacob, and Rachel, that at that altar uh, I would be ordained less than a decade later, Jake being there for that as well, and my dad, did not think that at that altar, 10 years later, we would have a funeral service for our six-day-old daughter, Victoria Grace, and, and just celebrating and grieving her life and all that that has meant for us. And thinking of all the altars that we have come to in our marriage, including this altar of the last six to 12 months especially as we've been working through uh, things with her parents and their declining health and, and what it has meant. I actually counted this up last night. We have moved six times, significant moves for us. We weren't thinking that at this time. And, and we're now working on our seventh move. We currently live in Valparaiso, Indiana, and, and we're going to be heading uh, back to Pennsylvania next June. So looking forward to that. At least, at least one couple's excited about that. There's two, two. Yeah. Joseph's excited too. So um, yeah. And, and I'm not saying we should have been thinking about all those things. I guess what I'm inviting us to think about is it's actually the joy, the anticipation. It's the goodness of God that has prevailed in all of those altars where we have found ourselves. And, and I am thinking about this in a new and fresh way myself in these days. A very challenging way. So when I get asked, especially last minute, and we, we lived in Peru, South America, for five years before going to Indiana, so I became very accustomed to, if we were going to visit a church, I was going to be invited to share. And our, our dear Peruvian brothers and sisters, that's just the way it was. So even as I became accustomed to showing up and being invited to share, I've learned that 
if I'm going to have something to share, there has to be something that I've been receiving to share from. And so even when Joseph mentioned to me this week, well, I told him, I'm like, hey, we're coming to visit Riverbend, and then got a text the next morning, and seeing just crazy idea. My first thought surely went to the passage he told me about, but right after that, it's like, all right, Lord, what, what have you been showing me that connects to this? And this is what he's been showing me. Just how good he is. And it's one of the hardest things for me to really receive. And, and I'll share, share a bit more on that as we go. Let's look at our scripture today. We're going to a wedding, a wedding at Cana. And there's a few themes in here that I think will relate to some of the things we're talking about. So this comes from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of them out, or draw some out, and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John's gospel is focused around seven signs and this is the first one at a wedding. Let's look at our next slide. This is a piece of art that I turn to all the time. I was teaching a graduate course this summer and had a couple of days of residency in person. And I put this up in front of the class and left it there for two full days. We just, just kept going back to it and back to it. What I want us to see here is that this story of God, this story of Scripture, begins with life, it begins with goodness. And then we encounter the fall and death and destruction, dehumanization, sin. And then we move into the love of redemption, fulfilled in Christ on the cross. And we have the hope of restoration and resurrection to follow. My friends, I've been challenged in my life that time and time again, one of the greater challenges for me is not to begin in the second frame. Not to begin in the second frame with my view of God. Not to begin in the second frame with my view of myself, with my view of others. Not to begin navigating circumstances in the second frame. And, and I think weddings 
are a great example of how we can begin thinking in the first frame with hope, anticipation, joy. This is what we're created for. All the things we're talking about here. Is there commitment? Is there cost? Yes. But that can be a joyful commitment. And it can be a cost that we walk through for the joy and the goodness that is before us. Because goodness is the beginning and ending of this story. Because the beginning and ending of this story is is God. Let's look at the next slide. On the third day is how our passage begins. That, that evokes memories of goodness. John's gospel is written for an audience that has known the story. It's like the perspective of John's gospel is telling us a story that we know with some revelation going on about the meaning in this story. Whereas if you read Mark's gospel, for instance, it's like real time, you're going through the story, and what's next? John's gospel is like resurrection looking backward, looking at these insights that we have throughout the story. So when we read on the third day, that evokes some anticipation, thinking of Jesus rising from the dead on the third day. And as we, we continue here, we see that um, they're, at, they're at this wedding. There's no more wine. It's like goodness is being threatened. Goodness has run out. And, and we see in the next slide this interaction between Jesus and his mom. But I want you to think of this phrase here where Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. This is another theme in John's Gospel. Jesus is constantly stewarding and wrestling with the tension of his hour. And his hour that then comes is the hour that is depicted on that stained glass window when he is before the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. The cost, the commitment, the carrying of his cross, that's when his hour comes. And he is saying, my hour has not yet come. Now certainly he did not think that that was going to happen at the wedding. The taking up of his cross. But maybe he did have a very real deep sense that once he steps out into this, he's on the path that's leading to his hour. And, and with all the words that you described, that I shared as well in my anticipation on my wedding day, I do remember a sense the night before. The same type of sense I had the night before my firstborn Caleb was born. It's like this step is going to change everything. And, And there was a lot of good in that, but there was a sense of maybe that's where the fear of the Lord started coming in. Like, Lord, what's all this going to mean? And I hear that with Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. Because this step was going to set in motion a pathway of him walking with his father that was going to lead to laying down his life and taking it up again. It ends in the goodness. I want us to see today that it begins with goodness. This setting, this feast, and what happens here is Jesus living into goodness. 
And he is starting his message not with, oh, folks, at this wedding, you just do not know how bad you are. You do not know how bad this world is. You do not know the judgment that this world faces. There are moments where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, but not here. This is starting with goodness. His first sign is goodness. It's not a magic trick to show how much power he has alone. That's, that's not all that's going on here. Definitely not a magic trick. But this is more than just a display of power. I think it's a display of the power of his father's goodness. And Jesus recognizing that and stepping into it. So I don't know what all is going on here. I don't know all the wrestling that's happening, but certainly something's going on with him wrestling with his hour. And what he ends up stepping into is goodness. Let's, let's keep looking at this. This is a, a phrase that Jesus' mother says. And when we see this phrase, I want us to think for a moment of it being directed at us. And... And if we're thinking that we are to do whatever Jesus tells us to do, is our response to that anticipation, joy, or is our response to that first and foremost cost, commitment? I mean, I've had friends who, who don't want to fully follow Jesus because of what he might ask of them. I'm a person who theologically believes in that artwork by David Arms. It's called God's Story. I believe it starts with creation. I've known it, but I haven't always lived that way. I, I have become oriented at times to expect the bad, to, to face things with dread instead of hopeful anticipation. Questions like this are often met in my soul with, oh boy, buckle up. What's this going to lead to? And what I've been hearing lately is, am I really willing to taste and see that our Father is good? It does not mean that all circumstances are good. But He's always good in all circumstances. And how can we anticipate that when we see this? Let's look at the next slide. Do we expect good when we hear this in our lives? And if, if not, what needs to happen, what could happen that we could start to expect good when we hear, hey, do whatever he tells you to do? Because we know that some really good things were about to happen at this wedding on the other side of this. Look at this. I believe it's a quote. Yes, from Philip Keller. Most Christians possess a formidable amount of factual information on what Jesus expects of us. Precious few have the will, intention, or determination to act on it and comply with his instructions. But the person who decides to do what God asks him has moved on to fresh ground which will do both him and others a world of good. True confession, when I looked at this quote, I probably looked at it four times, 
And for three times, I was fixated on will, intention, determination, comply. It wasn't until like the fourth reading that I saw the last phrase, which will do both him and others a world of good. How can I start seeing that on the first reading? How can I start anticipating the goodness of God, even in difficulty? This is the journey that the Lord is leading me on right now. So I'm actually really grateful Pastor Joe invited me to be with you this morning because I'm hearing this as I've been preparing and thinking and sharing this with you. And I need to hear this. Because as we go, as we walk this way with the Lord, the, the hurts, the, the wounds, the disappointments, they can pile up. And we can forget our first love. We can forget that anticipation of goodness that will ultimately be fulfilled in his presence in a new heaven and a new earth where the, where the wine does not run out, figuratively in this wedding example. Let's look at the next slide. This is what Jesus tells them to do, and they do it. But isn't it interesting that in verse 8, he has them take it to the master of the banquet. And then look who the next person is that's engaged in the next slide. The master of the banquet tastes it. And then at the end there, then the master of the banquet, he called the bridegroom aside. What is the relationship, the interaction that's coming into focus here around goodness? Master, bridegroom. What is the focus of goodness for Jesus' life? It wasn't going to be the faithfulness of his disciples or their lack of failure. That's not where the goodness was going to be experienced. It wasn't going to be in the the religious leaders getting it. It wasn't going to be in governmental transformation where the, where the Roman leaders started following him. Where was his focus of goodness? It was between him and his father. I hear that when I see this. That the, the celebration of goodness and what's happening, even before it becomes something for the wedding guests to believe in, this is something between Jesus and his Father. We're not privy to knowing what all happened between that moment where Jesus interacts with his mom. But I'm thinking something happened between Jesus and his Father where Jesus realized it's good to take this step. That he can trust in his Father. For all we know, this may have been the first prayer in Jesus' earthly ministry when he said, not my will, but your will be done. And what compelled Jesus? It was the joy that compelled him to carry the cross. 
more than the cost or the commitment, it was the joy of his father. That stands out to me here. So let's go to the next slide. Here we learn that cheap, cheap is overcome by the best. Jesus doesn't just do this partially. It's really good. There is a celebration. There is a display of his goodness and glory in this. It's overwhelming goodness. Goodness is first and final in the story of God. There's a lot of bad in our lives that we navigate, that we face, but goodness is first and final. My son Jacob went on a conference this summer, and he came back, and the sermon that stood out to him, and he didn't have to tell us much about it for us to understand what he heard, and it has stuck with me. It was the difference between middle words and final words. And middle words are things like evil, trauma, loss, grief. Final words are things like goodness, beauty, life. This is Jesus stepping out in a first and final way focused on goodness in the midst of a celebration, a wedding. Let's look at the next slide. Jesus' first sign turned cheap to best. Are we willing to taste and see such goodness? Am I willing? Am I willing to, to turn from seeing bad or expecting bad to seeing good? And that doesn't mean just having a bigger list of pros than cons. It means turning to the Father. Am I willing to turn to the Father first and foremost? That I can taste and see that he is good. Now, remember, you put something in the back of your mind about the fear of the Lord. If I throw that phrase out, fear of the Lord, what's your reaction? That would be an interesting discussion. Usually I find myself trying to explain, well, it's not really being afraid. It's more worship and reverent. Well, chances are our first reaction to fear of the Lord is not necessarily goodness, e even though we know it is theologically. But what if I asked you, how many of you would desire long life on this earth that you could see goodness? I think most of us would be like, well, that'd be awesome. Do you know that David says that's the fear of the Lord? That blew me away when I saw that recently. This comes from Psalm 34. David says, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the person who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Well, yeah. That's what I was longing for at my wedding day. Length of days to see goodness with my wife. So, that is the fear of the Lord. And circumstantially, length of days can mean a lot of different things in different scenarios in a fallen world. However, 
with our Father. Length of days has no end. Neither does goodness with our Father. So my friends, maybe, maybe just maybe, one of the challenges in our lives to walk the way Jesus walked with his Father is to start out with goodness and end with goodness. Connected to the Father. Maybe, just maybe, there's opportunity for me, opportunity for you to turn toward goodness to the Father in some practical ways. Maybe we continually are putting bad news in front of us. Maybe we are continually believing and saying bad things about how we see ourselves or others see us, and that's not really in keeping with how the Father sees us. Maybe we are anticipating that the wine's going to run out. Whatever that might be. On God's grace, on finances, on provision, on strength. Maybe our curiosity is being attacked. Curiosity for good. Maybe, maybe it's being convoluted where we become curious over just how bad things might get rather than just how good might things be in his presence. In Psalm 34, uh, verses 8 through 14, the, I'm not going to read all that, but I would encourage you, if you want to reflect on these themes, that would be a great passage to look at. Psalm 34, 8 to 14. I have pretty much had probably more than 75, two-thirds, three-quarters, two-thirds of my Scripture reflection in the last month and a half, two months, have been in this section of Scripture. I keep going back to it over and over again. How does it begin? Taste and see that Yahweh is good. How does Jesus' ministry begin? Taste and see my Father's good. Yeah, my hour is coming. I'm stepping out into it. I can taste and see that my Father is good. And then at the end of that section, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so as we move to close this morning, I, I encourage you to contemplate what are some steps, what are some, what's some turning that might be possible in our lives? I'm not asking you or encouraging you or, or asking myself to contemplate what, what huge cost am I, what burden am I going to take on? To No. What might be possible for me to taste and see the goodness of Jesus in my life? And what steps might be possible? What what changes in speech, changes in, in prayerful habits and disciplines? What, what boundaries, what, what activities, what delights, what, what might be possible? I'm not trying to pretend at all that life does not have gut-wrenching things for us that we face 
But I'm realizing more and more that God's goodness is so much bigger than what's gut-wrenching. And I'm really grateful for that. It's changing me. It's changing me. And so I invite you to be curious and contemplate and imagine how it can change you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you invite us to taste and see that you are good. I pray that we will have the courage to be curious and to imagine and step into this goodness as Jesus stepped into and stepped out into your goodness. May we follow him and walk in his way. Amen.